Insights to Live By, the podcast, discovering new pearls of wisdom to enrich our lives. Welcome. You have made it to another surefire episode of Insights to Live By. I am your host, Matt Zinman. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm, I'm thinking of the theme for today's show, and it, it really roots back to, in, in part, maybe what parents teach their kids about resilience and things like, if you believe in yourself and you put the work in, you can achieve anything. And then there's the other side of life and trusting your gut and, and your instincts when you try to swim with the current versus against it. And that feeling of banging your head against the wall or pushing a boulder uphill. And when do you decide to turn around? If you have the approach of, I'm going to do something, do or die trying, not a very flexible decision matrix to go by. So to help us, here to help us, to sort this out is, among other things, the author of the forthcoming book, I Quit, The Life-Affirming Joy of Giving Up. Kenor Behal, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I am just, I'm so psyched to have you on. And I you know I, I, this is something of, of a life challenge that I, I've certainly faced myself about, do I go on? Do I quit? How do you know? And in, in just reading up on you and the exchanges that we've had, uh, just so interesting. And I'm, I'm really interested in your book coming out and how we need to shift the paradigm to uh, in our society around quitting and when is it okay to quit? And certainly we're going to be talking more about that today. But how did you get into, why, why did you choose this as your topic of all the things you could do? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, such a cliche. I mean, I think the the topic chose me. It's it's not like I have like 10 book ideas in my back pocket and this was the first one that I chose. But um, um, I think it just happened kind of organically. You know, I had the idea for many years and just never thought I'd do anything with it because, you know, I'm already running a business and I was like, I'm not I'm not a journaler. I'm not someone who needs like quiet time to reflect and like, you know, push art out of me, you know? And so I was like, I'm never going to write this book. And um, I went on for many years, but like the origin story of it was that I, I myself like um, am a recovering perfectionist. And I think the first time that I really hit my limit was in my first job after graduate school um, where I was just like, wow, this is, this is not meet my values. Like this is not okay. You know? And, um, and I quit that job um, without another job in hand. And, um, and I, that was probably like my first really good, big quit where I just had no regrets, you know, um, the action I took matched my values. And, and it really kind of freaked me up to do more of that, to like make strong life decisions, right? And I noticed, especially in my 20s, like, doing that and making those big decisions got me much, much closer to like what I wanted, you know? So <clears throat> a little bit of the personal experience, you know, kind of like made me realize, Hey, wait, I'm a quitter and I'm okay. You know, I'm not a failure, you know, like I still have a good character, you know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And then the second piece was once I started my business seven years ago, um, I was going on a lot of like, 
uh, I'll say aimless coffee chats with people just trying to like practice talking about what I was doing. And, um, and you know how it is in America, you meet someone for the first time and you kind of like review each other's resume verbally, right? And I remember this every time someone would say, oh, then I left that job or then I moved away from that city. Um, I'd always want to like dig deeper into that. I'd always say, hey, wait, 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 hold up. Like, tell me why you left that job. And, and I found kind of asking why when confronted with someone's quitting story, whether they thought it was a story or not, was a really good way to get to know someone, honestly, and like get to understand what their values were, what their trade-offs were, you know? So I find it really helpful in my own life, but then also um, really beneficial in kind of just engaging and empathizing with other people and kind of asking them their quitting stories. Yeah, it's funny. It got me thinking about my quitting stories too. And we're not going to di- divert here on, on oh, that you point. Oh, you totally can. <laughs> yeah, well, at some point perhaps. Uh, but it's funny you say, well, this is something I'm never going to do. And I'm thinking, I don't think quitting's about quitting before you start. I think you actually want to start something before you, before you quit. And you know, before we dive a little bit too deeper into mm-hmm. the topic, because there's other things we want to talk about, I just want to give you a little bit more of a proper introduction uh, because you do more than just author this book at this point in your career and life. You are also the founder and CEO of MindHatch, which involves design thinking. And you're going to have to explain that to me in part, but it, it is described as having the expertise to solve complex business problems, design products and services, something you call organizational improv, which thematically goes very hand in hand with you also being an improv comedy performer, trainer, and coach mm-hmm. for a number of years. I have to, I have to say, uh, I really feel like I have to bring my A game here today. <laughs> you're good. You're good. No, we will lift each other up and we'll bring each other's A game out of each other. Yeah. I mean, but from an improv standpoint, I don't know, at any given time, I could be find myself at a disadvantage. You're going to have me, you know, keep me on my toes and I'll try and keep up. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay? <laughs> I appreciate it. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting about the whole quitting stories and you know how you how people react to that. It's a great icebreaker and you know especially of course given what it is that you do, uh, mm-hmm. it's not like it's a question you're asking out of the blue, right? If you're somebody else, you're like, "Hey, what's your quitting story?" Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it really goes hand in hand, but you must get a lot of interesting answers. I think certainly a a question that sets people back a little bit to, to, to kind of, right. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to say, you know, um, uh, definitely in those kind of like, you know, casual getting to know you conversations, it, it is a great way to get deep quickly. Right. And, um, I'm not like one for small talk. I suppose <laughs> I kind of have an, I, I have an ability to like get deep really quickly and, and not mind it. Um, so maybe that's kind of par for the course in, in chatting with me that I'm going to ask why questions and I'm going to try to like understand you, um, uh, even if you just have like five minutes over coffee. Um, but, um, but, you know, what I learned from writing the book, you know, first of all, you're totally right. You know, like some people would be very taken aback and maybe not even want to share a time that they quit because there is so much stigma and so much shame around just the word quit, you know, and the act of quitting in our society. But, you know, Uh, I have to say, like, surprisingly enough, I had no problem finding people who wanted to talk to me for my book. You know, like my my book is a collection of stories of um, everyday people and how they summon the courage to quit things um, mixed in with some of my own kind of personal narrative and memoir. And um, and uh, I had a lot of people who wanted to talk with me about their quitting stories and and 
you know, pretty much across the board because their quitting stories had been so positive, you know, that it kind of lifted the veil for them, you know, on like, wow, I can do this and the world doesn't fall apart like I thought it would. Or, wow, I can do this. And it just opened up more possibilities for me that I, I wanted more than the thing that I left behind, you know. And um, but that, that even that phrase left behind is something that was a, a real theme in uh, talking to people for my book that there's so much shame around quitting that we have like euphemisms for it. Right. You know, so even some of the people that I spoke to. Uh, they were kind of more comfortable using words like leave behind, you know, or, um, or, you know, other kind of, you know, ways to kind of soften it and like not identify as a quitter, you know, and that's just how powerful the shame is around it. And um, so I'm really trying with the book to kind of like take back the word quit, you know, and I think oftentimes what we don't understand is that quitting and quitters are very courageous and brave and they're really upending the status quo, right? And, and, and more often than not, that's to be celebrated. Yeah, and to your point, it, it really is something that is so core to someone's identity and mm. that they pride themselves on it. And how do you get out of your own way? And I heard you say, well, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I'm thinking, yeah. do I need to make myself more of a recovering non-quitter? And what do I need to quit? <laughs> Recovering non-quitter. Um, yeah, you know, so, you know, the, the, what I hope people are inspired to do by reading the book is not to kind of quit anything and everything for no reason, right? I think what you'll see in the stories that come out is that these people weren't reckless quitters, you know? Um, they oftentimes, the stories that people chose to share with me for the book were stories of their first really big quit, right? Potentially the first time they quit anything, you know? And we're talking about the first time someone quit anything was their marriage, right? Or, you know, something really big. Right. And I think what you'll hear in the book is that, um, you know, it, it requires a lot of self-knowledge, right? I think there is this correlation between how well you know yourself, how well you do know your values, how well you know, like, what you're willing to put up with, what you're not willing to put up with that gives you the confidence to know that, oh, wow, this thing is not for me, you know, and, and I can rid my life of it and have confidence that I won't have regrets about it later, that there's something better for me, you know, by virtue of doing this, you know, so um, I think that's a real, a real common theme. Um, so again, not proposing that everyone go out there and quit everything in their lives right now, but, you know, like when I was in my early 20s, you know, I probably didn't quit some things because I didn't know myself that well. Right. But with the benefit of experience and honestly, trial and error, you know, kind of got to know like what my own lines in the sand were. Yeah. yeah and I think when people think of the word quit and, and I, I'm going to use a generalization here that it applies to something more having to do with the life ambition that it's more career related or some kind of endeavor that they have. But I think from my understanding, you're talking very broad based here. You are talking about relationships and friendships and um, help me finish this sentence. How, yeah. how, how, do, how does quitting span? What's the spectrum of quitting, I guess, is where we are. Yeah, well, it spans the gamut of human experience. Uh, so in my book, you know, um, um, certainly uh, a lot of my uh, beneficial quits have been career related, 
But, um, you know, I got divorced last year and very beneficial quit, you know, and so um, I knew that it, I didn't want the book to be just about jobs and careers, but there are different sections. So there is a section about um, quitting stories related to jobs and careers, a section around quitting people and relationships, a section around quitting aspirations um, and a section around quitting identities, you know, so um so it's really like a lot of different facets and angles at which you can make decisions in your life, you know? Um, and uh, so I really want to kind of show just like the breadth of human experience that you do have the ability, you know, um, with, with rare exceptions, you know, to, to have agency. And it, it also does come down to that decision, which I really want to keep peeling the onion mm -hmm. about. And I, you know, all of us can speak from personal experience and, um, I, I would like to interject on a couple of points here uh, from, from my own. Uh, and, and one of them has to do, number one, with relationships. I'm also uh, divorced. Congratulations. Um, I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm remarried. Uh, Congratulations now. We're, again. We're talking yeah. about, uh, you know, going back, you know, 18 years, uh, yeah. 19 years, my son was two. Mm. And uh, so I'll just frame that aside. And then the other thing is, I, I'm a fan of Malcolm Gladwell. I can't say that I read a ton of books, but his have certainly had some positive impact on me, one of which going way back is the tipping point. Hmm. And uh, he referred to some kind of a study where they track these relationships as far as well, what is the tipping point when a relationship kind of reaches the point of no return? What, hmm. is, what is that thin slice, that data point? And they, they broke it down to a level of, well, if there's contempt, if, if, <sighs> if you yeah. get to the point of, a, of, of contempt, that's unrecoverable. Hmm. Uh, and so... You know, basing your decisions on quitting, you know, there, there are points of reference to know it is the right decision, mm -hmm. um, you know, for myself uh, and you know, a great relationship with his mom, you know, just how things took their course. It was just, it became a stressful household and yeah. I didn't want, you know, I mean, you, you, know, you take vows, right? You, you take mm -hmm. these things very seriously and it's tough, especially if you have kids. And at the same point it was, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my son to grow up in a, in a house yeah. where there was stress, where, you know, you couldn't see that, that turning the corner. So how do people find those data points in order to mm -hmm. make the decisions to know, yes, I really should be considering quitting something? Yeah, that's sort of an interesting question. You know, um, you know, the book is filled with like stories, right? And so it's by nature, very qualitative, you know, and so really trying to kind of illustrate, you know, through different people's stories, you know, where, you know, even if you are reading the book because you're really interested in getting the courage to quit your job, you can and should find a lot of inspiration, even in the story around, you know, the person who decided to quit drinking soda, which is a story in the book. And it is honestly way more compelling than you would believe by what the topic is, you know? And so, so I'd say that you can find um, inspiration in anywhere um, in the book. Um, but regarding data points, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people I spoke to didn't really speak about in um, data, right? But what they did have were these very like memorable, pivotal moments, right? Where they just realized, okay, this is gone on too long, right? Or, oh my gosh, this is not for me. What was I doing? You know? And so there, there were kind of like, if not one, then several kind of pivotal moments where like what they previously thought was a good decision started to reveal itself to be no longer a good decision. Right. And so I think like the, the data um, 
if I can stretch the definition of that is really like about like paying attention to yourself, right? And paying attention to what you're learning from this experience, paying attention to what you're learning about yourself from this experience, you know? And I think that that kind of like self-awareness kind of goes along with that self-knowledge, right? And getting that experience and to know when there's a disconnect, right? To understand just viscerally like, oh, there's a disconnect here between who I am and what this is. Um, and so I think everyone by and large had, had those moments, you know, no matter how committed they were or how, how much sunk cost fallacies could have come into play for them, you know, they, they had these moments where they're like, oh no, this is not worth it, you know? And so, um, so yeah, so I think the data collection is really like a personal one, you know, like my, the book is, is intentionally not a how to quit book because that decision is so personal, right? And everyone has their own limits. Um, case in point, one of my first bad quits back in my per perfectionist days was I quit my very first improv class when I was 19. And the reason was because I was scared to be bad at it. So I just decided to not find out that I was bad at something. And I had so much regret around it. Um, I recently talked to a woman for her podcast and uh, crazily enough, um, she also quit an improv class in college. For her, it was the greatest decision in her life. <laughs> she had no regrets, you know? And so she and I both quit the exact same thing at the exact same time in our lives and had totally different takeaways, right? About what it meant for us. You know, I had regret for eight years, you know, and she was like, nope, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya, you know? And um, so it is such a personal personal decision that really only, only you can make. Yeah, it, it certainly makes a lot of sense in terms of trusting your gut and, and it is naturally an individual decision. And it's not anything that you can take lightly because it does seem like these, these apply to a lot of big life decisions. That's the first thing where you, you know, where you, where you go to. Um, if you feel like you're in a dead end job or, mm -hmm. you, you know, your career is not aligned with your passion, mm -hmm. you know, those, those are good reasons to, to look elsewhere. Those are good reasons to take uh, a risk and or turn uh, mm -hmm. adversity to to an advantage yeah and, and swim with the current so um, I love that you brought up that word risk because I think that is really a big part of the origin of this book and, and my own thinking around quitting which is you know we've kind of let society trick us into thinking that staying put and you know maintaining the status quo is somehow less risky than making the change even if that change requires quitting something or not. Um, but we don't know that to be true. I mean, talk about a lack of data. Like we don't know that staying in what we are, which we hate is less risky than making the change. You know, we just don't know that. Um, there's opportunity costs in every direction, right? And so we've kind of just um, let ourselves kind of be shamed into not making big choices for ourselves, you know? Yeah, the opportunity cost is, is, is a good way of putting it. And if you can't tell, you have me thinking a lot about quitting. Oh, good, good. So, uh, just don't quit this interview, please. Well, just yeah. philosophically, that's what I was going to say. I'm, yeah. I'm out of here. Uh, that you you essentially, you can't know. When, yeah. You, you, know, you, you make your best decisions. You can't know. You do what you think is right. You are at that point of risk. You hope, you know, one door closes, another door opens, those sorts of things. Uh, but you're not always going to make the right decision. And yeah. if you if you do decide to quit something for what you think are the right reasons, and then it turns out that you feel like you made a mistake, maybe maybe improv at age 19 is 
is an example, but uh, that uh, that you can look to, well, you know, is that something that I can rectify or is it something I have to accept, but not carry around as a, as a regret, right? That's, yeah. that, right? That's the other side of it. Totally, totally. And I, um, yeah, you bring up another thing, which is like, you know, quitting is a choice, but so is not quitting, right? We don't often think about like, oh, I'm deciding not to quit. I'm deciding to stay in this job that maybe I know I don't want to be in any longer. You know, like that is also a choice, right? Like, um, and so I think it's so, it's all too easy for us to get trapped into kind of like living our lives with inertia, right? And, and just realize that, you know, even if you decide not to quit, you're making a choice, you know? And so examine that choice, right? And make sure it's the right one for you. Do you have any suggestions for, what makes a good quit versus yeah. a bad quit? <laughs> yeah. So I definitely experienced a couple of bad quits and some, a lot of good quits, you know? And so again, I want to preface what I'm, I'm going to say with that. It's very personal, right? Like back to that same example of I quit improv and I hated myself for it uh, until I undid the quit eight years later and started doing improv. And then my friend was like, Oh, it was the best thing I ever did in my life. Right. So, um, so for me, it was a bad quit. For her, it was an excellent quit, you know? And so um, um, so it is very, very personal. But I, I would say if you're trying to kind of play the percentages, right? And try to, you know, make your quits as good, give it the, as met, much of a chance to be good as possible. I would go back to that kind of just like, you know, the self-awareness, the self-knowledge, you know, knowing what you stand for in life, knowing your values, right? And understanding if and when there is a mismatch, right? I think... I think if you use that as kind of like one of many possible guides, um, again, I don't want to be too directive, um, the greater your chances for like not having regret around it. And so I think for me, when I think of a good quit, it's like something that brings more joy into your life, something that you don't have regret around, right? Like you feel really secure and confident in your, in your decision. That's how I personally define it. Um, and so I think the path to that is just kind of really understanding yourself and what you stand for. Also understanding that what you stand for and your values can and will evolve, you know, those also don't have to remain static, you know. Um, um, what I valued at 19 was being good at stuff, you know, and that got in my way sometimes, you know, and so now I, I value learning over kind of already knowing things, you know, and so um, my values have changed too. my criteria for what I will and will not kind of, you know, participate in has changed. I, I think it, it, it also, you know, there, there are those life lessons that almost happen in reverse here. Mm -hmm. And you might think you might really take pride. In, I mean, and I, honestly, I can, I can relate. I really am like, I, I'm not a quitter. I mean, I have yeah. to say, I mean, I, I say that no. all the time and you know, I'm just, I'm a tenacious person mm -hmm. and you know, there's some pride in that. At the same time, I can also point to, I wouldn't say regrets, but mm. as some hindsight about things that I wish I had quit sooner or, yeah. or I should have quit. And those life lessons are, I think, the kinds of things that you can bring forward to make it more acceptable to yourself to say, you know what? I learned a lesson here uh, that there were some things that I I shouldn't have, uh, you know, swam against, swam against, swam, swam against the current for too long. <laughs> Uh, and, and that I should have turned around sooner and, and to learn from that about what those other things are. And yeah, on the people I spoke to for my book, um, they, the only regret that came up was I wish I'd quit sooner. <laughs> so that's a very common, common feeling. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Yeah. But what, what it takes to get to that point, right. You're almost yeah. past that threshold. I imagine mm-hmm. now, is it true you quit the circus? Oh, I did not. But someone I spoke to. For oh, my oh, okay. It was my in, the, in the book. They quit. The yeah. Circus. That's a story in the book. Yeah. I saw one reference. I'm like, I don't see where, where Kenora was in the circus. Yeah. Okay. And that's actually really it. So that was a, like a kind of a personal coup. I could, I cannot believe I found someone who quit the circus from the time I conceived my book. I was like, Oh, I want to have, I want to like cheekily include someone who quit the circus just because of that like adage of like, I'm going to run away and join the circus. You know, I was like, well, what about the other side of that? What about someone who quits the circus? And, um, right. and I, actually, I actually did talk to this like amazing woman and, and her, her story is so fascinating because she quit the circus because she had done everything she set out to do. She was just amazingly successful. She met her goals and she was like, all right, cool. I'm done. You know, and I think that's also so powerful and such a symbol of confidence, you know, where like, basically, you know, um, if I can paraphrase, you know, she, she was not going to just keep plugging along, plugging along, plugging along just because she was good at something. You know, I think that's like also something we can get stuck into. It's like, well, I'm good at this. So I don't want to leave it. But she was like, Oh, I met my goals. I excelled. I, you know, broke some records and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's definitely a cliche there about quitting the circus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the lifestyle is certainly, I'm sure very difficult too. There's so much to this and, and, uh, I, I really encourage people to keep an eye out for for your book. It's coming out in April. Is that right? Uh, yeah, end of April. End mm-hmm. of April. Okay, but but you know, it's available is, to pre-order now. Right. Yeah. You, there's the corporations can get it, and you know, just kind of uh, teaching people. And I'll let, we'll have some time at the end of the show. I, uh, I'll you know, have you uh, do that for for yourself. You know, I'm also Kenora interested in your work around design thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm looking, well, what is a design thinker? I'm almost thinking like you're kind of a think tank, right? It's like, yeah. it's like some kind <laughs> yeah. of problem to solve. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for asking. Because I believe it or not, I think um, my work with design thinking um, led innovation it actually is related to quitting. Believe it or not. So, um, so yes, yeah, so you asked earlier, kind of what what is design thinking? So, um, uh, in a in as, as short as possible, I'll, design thinking is is like a, a it's a methodology sometimes even a process for creative problem solving, you know? So if you are, it's especially good for when you're wanting to design for the future, like wonder like what could be possible? What if, you know, like, and, um, and it really takes on this like almost anthropological um, way of learning about your customers. So you're not just learning about like their height and their weight and where they live and their income, but you're kind of talking to them one-on-one using a lot of ethnographic methods to really understand what their needs, wants, desires, hopes, dreams are, right? So that you can not just change that green button to blue because people like it better, but maybe you create like a brand new service that customers never even anticipated that they would they would be delighted by, right? So um, so design thinking is very good for, um, for innovation purposes. And, um, and a big part of that methodology is this idea of pivoting, rapid prototyping, rapid iteration, you know, this idea of like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, have multiple different, very low cost prototypes going at one time to continue testing and validating. Um, so, you know, different way of solution development. And, um, and it, to me, it really connects to like, why someone like me is interested in design thinking and has made her career in part about that why someone like me is also interested in quitting, you know, because, because like these stories and like my own personal stories around quitting were, were about like, you know, like taking in new information, 
about yourself or about your situation that you find yourself in. Uh, the corollary to that in design thinking is learning more about your customer, getting more information, right? And then, you know, understanding how much information you have and do you have enough to be dangerous? Do you have enough to make a choice? Do you have enough to like make a pivot or a switch or like a hard quit, you know, like based on the information that you have, you know? And so, you know, if, if I've only talked to like five customers for 30 minutes, yeah, maybe we're not going to invest a million dollars in that prototype, right? Maybe it's going to be way more lo-fi. Also, if I've been in a job for two weeks and I'm hating it, okay, maybe that's not enough information to just like, you know, burn the place down and quit, you know? Um, maybe there's uh, some, some more information I need to gather about myself and about my circumstance. And so to me, it's, it's a really interesting um, alignment in uh, kind of two passions that I did not set out to connect. <laughs> but I think the more I've been deep in the book, the more I'm realizing, oh yeah, there's a reason why I like this topic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, for what, you know, it's for what you're drawn to. And, and as I, you know, as it sinks in for me, there, there is this, this feeling of freedom that mm. comes with it. You know, if you're, if, of course you, you may not be someone who quits so easily, right. You're, you're going mm -hmm. to take it to, you know, just go a little bit past the degree when you should quit before you decide to quit uh, type thing. But that be, by giving yourself that option to know, you know what, eventually I have a threshold and mm -hmm. if something just, I, I'm, I know that I, I can do this. I don't have to be that life perfectionist. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, I think a certain freedom in, in having that option play. Uh, really interesting stuff. Now you, you're also, you know, before we continue on in, into insights to live by, uh, do improv. I, I can't ignore asking you about <laughs> yeah. your improv experience. My party trick, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I was thinking about starting with that and, and I think she's going to be like, oh, he's going right to improv. And oh, all no, these I other things. <laughs> that, that, so you got back into it. Uh, mm -hmm. that many years later, you're still very involved. You actually teach and coach uh, people to do mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could do stand up, but why, <laughs> but why improv? That's, that's a very unique skill. Yeah. God, and one, first of all, thank you on behalf of myself and improvisers everywhere for not thinking it is stand up for knowing the difference. <laughs> so we, we get, uh, that confusion a lot. Um, but um, so, you know, I, you know, it's interesting. I don't think I ever actually made the decision to do improv or stand-up. And in fact, I know quite a few people who to do both. Um, but for me, stand-up was just never an attractive hobby to me. I think in part because it, it strikes me as so solitary, you know, and, um, and I uh, like collaborating. I like being inspired by other people. I like teamwork, you know? And so improv is exactly that. You know, you have a team and like the, the uh, mutual understanding on which you work together is that you are going to support each other. You're gonna support each other's ideas and build on them. And you're gonna make it safe for everyone, you know? And you're not gonna let anyone quote unquote fail or look stupid, you know? And, um, and so I think I was always attracted to, to improv for that reason. Um, Cause it seemed uh, just fun and silly. Uh, whereas I think probably like the stereotype of standup is that it's like solitary. And a lot of people are like using standup to work out their issues <laughs> on, on stage. <laughs> and right. they, um, yeah, I love watching standup always have, you know like um, I was a comedy nerd from a young age, you know um, but yeah, I think also just uh, um, standup sounds like a lot of work, a lot of work, you know, like um, 
to sit down and write like a 10 minute set, you know, that might take you a year, you know, to really hone and refine that. And, uh, and I think the, the less I have to memorize, the better, I think for everyone involved. So, yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, interesting insights, you know, improv is typically, is it three people, four people? You know, it can be, uh, there are actually one person shows, but uh, there are duos, there are teams of, I, I'd say probably rare to see a, um, a regular team that has more than nine or 10 people on it. Wow, um, that's but, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, what was that show that, that was on for, had a great stretch. Uh, oh, who, whose line is it anyway? Whose line is it anyway? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I grew up watching that back when they had, uh, I think it was Clive Anderson, the British host. Yeah. That's what I used to watch growing up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And, you know, there's a spontaneity to it. And, you know, you're safe, right? Because if you mess up, it's like, well, it's improv, you know, you give them a break. But like mm -hmm. you say, you know, you could do stand up, put together a routine for a year. And it's like some things are going to fall flat and some things, yeah. uh, you know, and you're trying to, you know, keep that memory while at the same time seem spontaneous. Um, I've done, I've done a couple of open mic nights, oh, um, nice. but, uh, how'd they go? What, what did you come it, away it, thinking about stand up? From um, that? I hate, I couldn't take the lights. Yeah. I don't like bright lights either. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't take, it was a surprise. I couldn't take everything washing out. And then I, it, it, it was a disconnect for me in terms of trying to interact with the audience. Cause I couldn't see. Yeah. So then suddenly yeah. it's like you're isolated and then you're just, oh, okay. And, uh, and then the first time I had cards with me and then I went to go up and I was like, Oh, I, I lost them. <laughs> so oh, no. I, I really, so it was almost an improv, you know, stand up at the same time, <laughs> nice. but it went well. It went well. Yeah. Um, I hear yeah, you on the lights. I have like light sensitivity myself. I think I, every time I go on stage, I'm like squinting for like the first minute, like on the back line until like my eyes acclimate, but I'm, I'm never not shocked at how bright the lights are. Yeah. That the lights basically were, were why I quit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. or didn't go any farther uh for the most part hey you now, your limits good <laughs> I, you know what? i just wanted to try it yeah i, I, I just wanted, it was just one of those things i, I couldn't say bucket list type thing but good for um, you I, I i just you know i worked up the courage to do it and it went well you know nice. again you know you open mic same thing kind of improv like it's like yeah. you totally mess up it's like when guys got the guts to go up there and Standing. It's like it's low risk, right? Right, low risk. It. That's what I yeah. like about it. Yeah. Now, before we get to insights to live by, uh, I find it'd be very easy for us to just keep talking about all these other things. But <laughs> yeah, we have to we have to forge ahead. Uh, we have uh, a segment here just to get a few more insights about you, and you can see here yeah. on the screen our wheel of insights. <laughs> so that cool. <laughs> you, as someone with improv, will have no trouble whatsoever with wherever this lands, anytime that we have a new guest, they always get original questions. We never use the same question <laughs> twice. So this will be very interesting. We're going to first spin here. And I've been waiting for this. Color, letter, number. Wow. So are you somebody who has favorite color and letter number? Are you- Favorite. That, you know, I don't have a favorite letter or number. Um, but uh, 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 color, I, I like blues and greens. I think those are my my favorite. Really? Yeah. I gotta, I gotta say, Kenora, I was kind of expecting a little bit more depth. I'm picking on you. I, I feel like I, I watched this episode of Sesame Street or something, you know, when I was yeah. a kid, you know, and the guy opens up his jacket and he's like, hey, you want to buy a letter or, you know, whatever that. Now I'm getting, yeah. Yeah. Sounds a yeah Sesame Street can like stretch a letter to like a 30 minute show. I, I apologize that I, I can't. <laughs> Goodness. No, that's funny. Um, yeah. You know, green number seven and um, Z. 
I mean, come on. Oh, nice. Z. Oh, nice. It's got to be Z. I'm actually surprised that I don't have a favorite letter or number because I am definitely like a text person. Like if ever there's like a visual with text, my eyes will always go to the text before processing the visual. So I'm surprised that I don't have a favorite letter. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I have them by the end of the week. All right. I've exposed a weakness. So we're going to continue (laughs) on to our second question. We do this three times and then we'll get into insights. Got it. All right, this one is beach, lake, mountain, or ski slope. Oh man, this is hard. You can say, okay, I'm gonna got to pick one. Okay, definitely not lake. Um, out of the other two, lakes are nice, but lakes are also kind of gross compared to like the ocean. Um, I'd rather swim in the ocean compared to a lake. Um, ooh. So what's your second? Is it? Is it? So you're saying beach is one of them. Beach is between beach or mountain. It's not ski slope because I gave up skiing a couple years ago. You quit. I quit skiing. I quit trying to ski. I should say I spent 10 years trying to ski and eventually was like, you know what? This sucks. This is just trying to not fall down for eight minutes at a time. I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, And also it just seemed like the only reward for getting better was going down steeper hills. I was like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But I do do love snow. I'm going snowshoeing this Friday, in fact. So the beach mountain thing is really hard. Um, I mean, I'm going to give the narrow, narrow edge to mountain because snow plus views plus like a wood burning fire um and i have a dog that is a mountain dog so i'm gonna i'm gonna go go for mountain with a narrow edge over beach a mountain dog all right well we don't have time to digress on on that point but <laughs> you're out near seattle right i am mm-hmm. okay yeah so mountains are are accessible to you yes very yeah snow some mountains are just like an hour away yeah. got it well we've had a lot of snow here past week and a half so i, I don't so in, in philadelphia so <laughs> yeah. uh, i'm not sure I, I like it but i don't like the shoveling our right, last time yeah. here oh, we've landed on the weirdest what eaten <laughs> nice i was not that long ago in a clubhouse room where we were talking about the same thing so weirdest thing that i've eaten um so weird places of value judgment so um nothing i've eaten is truly weird um i won't judge you cultural, you know, all that. Um, but what I would say the average American would think is the weirdest thing I've eaten, probably a Thai, Thai for crickets, which I ate in Cambodia, which were delicious. Like, oh my God, every time I'm eating popcorn, I just wish it were crickets instead. Gourmet crickets. Oh my God. They were crunchy and smoky and it was just addictive it, they were so good okay. um i won't judge and- you except for the fact i'm grossed out I'm <laughs> nice well wait for the uh, wait for the tie uh, oh. uh one time when i was in bangkok um i was in a market and this old thai grandmother just offered me from her stall a free cockroach and i was like i'm not gonna like refuse this lovely offer from like an elder you right. know and so i put my hand in the jar. It was just a salted cockroach, like no, no seasoning, no anything. It was salted. And I took a bite. Um, and it, it didn't taste like anything. It was just all texture. It was just like really, really hard and thin and salty. Yeah. So I'm not even sure I can say that I know what a cockroach tastes like, but I have ingested one. I mean, you did it. I have to say, Kinor, you have made up from the color and letter number question. Oh, thank you. With that answer, you have redeemed yourself. (laughs) 
Um, so now we are going on to our featured segment about your insights to live by. Uh, typically, I'm sure you have many through your experiences, but you can only choose three. Yeah. And the final one, the one, if, if there's one that is above the others, let's save that one for last. Okay. What is your first insight to live by? Got it. So um, the first one I'd say is uh, something that I, I found myself advising people when they reach out to me about their own career switches um, um, is I find myself saying a lot over the years that I wish I'd been told when I was, say, in high school or college that hard work does not always pay off. It is not input output. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. I mean, hard work does not always pay off. Just because you work hard, it does not mean you're going to get what you worked hard for. And so I think the silver lining to that is, so you may as well just work hard at what you love. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like it's a little bit at the front end of quitting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So elaborate just a little bit in terms of sure. working hard at the things you love. So it's just, yeah. you know, core passion. That's when you know to yeah, that can be plural too, passion or passion. You know, I, I think it's maybe like I, I you know, I mentioned I, I grew up kind of being a, a, a perfectionist, kind of like a, a overachiever. And, um, and I, 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 I was fine. I loved it. You know, I, I, I don't have too many regrets outside of, you know, um, me being late to realizing that I can make choices, right? And, um, but I think like the the bill of goods that I was sold, that a lot of us are sold on is that, oh, just work hard, you know, get all A's, get into a good college. If you do this, then you'll get that. If you do this, then you'll get that, right? right. And and honestly, it, it, it worked really well all the way through grad school. And then, you know, when that stopped working, the second I got into the workforce, <laughs> that's when you realize, that's when you kind of realize that like, you know, um, we don't actually live in a meritocracy in the workplace, you know? Right. And yeah, so just because you work hard does not mean you're gonna get the promotion. Just because you work hard does not mean you're not gonna be discriminated against because you're a woman or a person of color, you know? it's um, And so I think get, getting into the workforce, honestly, was like what really lifted that veil for me of like, oh, wait a second, like this is not guaranteed, you know, and there are other forces at play besides my own work ethic. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, certainly an, a topic that you're touching on very uh, near and dear to my uh, prior work, which I can't say I've quit, but it's definitely yeah. on the side burner uh, with the Internship Institute and the whole notion is there's a real epidemic out there uh, that, again, no substitute for experience. And people work so hard, they get their mm. degree, they go into decades of debt, and without getting the experience to know what they're getting themselves into, they'll yeah. graduate and get a job, be like, I don't want to do this. Or, yeah, you know, someone, I, people want to go into engineering and they're like, My, I don't want to be in a cubicle the next, you know, 30 yeah. years. It's just not the lifestyle. So, uh, I think they do go hand in hand to your point, but I'm digressing. These are your okay. insights to live by. Let's I go to number. Number, <laughs> uh, let's go to number two. Okay, my number two is um, something I haven't said out loud before, so I might struggle to to frame it. But I, I this idea of like um, like live your life with humility, right? And I know that's a good, that's pretty general. And I think what comes to mind for me is just like none of us are that important. Like none of us are that important, <laughs> you know. So I'm just kind of like remember that, that none of us is that important. And I think that's for me anyway, a really good shorthand to like 
stay humble and stay vulnerable and like not take myself too seriously, you know? And so, um, that that's kind of what comes to my mind when I think of like living a humble life is just kind of understanding your, your place in the world, which for every one of us is a pretty small place. <laughs> yeah. If you really think about it, we would go uh, very long <laughs> in this interview uh, to, to that point. And when you talk about humility, you know, it, it really is the other side of it to, to maintain that. Cause I think, I mean, look, people interpret these words and concepts in different ways, but it's the same to a degree of saying, you know, don't let yourself be too self-important. Yes, exactly. The self-importance. More, more, there's some tangibility to that. Mm -hmm. um, makes a lot of sense. And who mm -hmm. likes people? You know, there's a likability issue, including a yeah. self-likability issue. You don't want to like yourself too, too much when it comes to yeah. getting to but that you, point. You can, you can still retain confidence and self-esteem, you know, while still being humble. You know, you don't have to diminish yourself. But, you know, I think one way to show that you're confident and have high self-esteem is to treat others really well, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, again, you, I'm in a thinking mood today. Hey, uh, th excellent. That, that mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're imposing, right? You can feel good about yourself, but, you know, the humility is a lot about not imposing mm -hmm. that on others, that yeah. others are, are feeling that self-importance. Mm -hmm. uh, we, I've never really, you know, on, on the show, I don't think we've really quite gone down this road. So mm -hmm. in the same way you said you haven't articulated it, uh, it's, it's a, a new area for us to explore. So ah, thank excellent. you. Thank you. And is, the, is this final insight to live by? Is it one that stands above all else? Or is there a level playing field here for you? Um, you know, I happen to write it down third. And then the second I, you mentioned to go kind of save the best for last, I was like, okay, I think there was a reason why I wrote down, that down third. So um, um, I mentioned that I got divorced last year. And um, I remember the first conversation I had with my brother after like my family learned about my decision. Uh, my older brother and I were chatting. I was kind of updating him on the situation, you know, and uh, what had been going on the previous years. And um, my brother's like a very like lovely, like laid back guy. And like, you know, pr very early in the conversation, he was like, yeah, you know what? Like life, life is just too short to be unhappy. And I instinctively found myself saying, no, dude, life's too long. <laughs> you know? And so I think like, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to grow up in the West or in any developing country, like your life is long, you know? And I was like, you know, if I were, if my life expectancy were 40, yeah, maybe I would have stayed in that marriage, right? But no, like based on my grandmother's, I'm probably gonna live in my 90s, you know? Do I wanna, do I wanna like stick in this thing for another 50 years? Like, no, right? And so I think it, it's, for me, it was just kind of like, you know, the cliche of life is too short. I was like, no, I mean, life's, life is long. If you're, if you're lucky, you know, like I am like you, you have a good chance of having a long life. And so it's like, well, how much of that long life do you want to, you know, keep doing something that's not bringing you joy or fulfillment or respect, you know? And so, um, yeah, so this idea of life is long. So how long do you want to tread in what you're doing? Yeah, I love it. It really is, again, another way of flipping the perspective about life being too short and being like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to be unhappy, right? Why would you want to be unhappy for a, yeah. that long <laughs> of a period of time? It's like, not to be unhappy for another year, but not another 50 right. years. <laughs> yeah. mean, if you, look, if you can't turn the corner, then, uh, you know, dead end job, dead end marriage, friendships, right? Draining mm -hmm. friendships are another yep. one on the, on the quitting front and talk about that as well. You know, there's five mm -hmm. people around you. Who's your tribe. 
You know, it's too short to have somebody who's just kind of sucking the life out of you for whatever Mm -hmm. reason that is. You want to be a good friend. We know Mm -hmm. people are, we're all dysfunctional one way, shape or form, (laughs) but you know, where, where, where are those limits? So also Mm -hmm. a good area of quitting. We could easily digress once again into the quitting, but I think we're going to have to wrap up the show soon, but would it be okay if we go back to the wheel? Of course. That is so much fun. This is, uh, I love the wheel. And see what happens here. I mean, after the weirdest what eaten, (laughs) it could be interesting. Well, we ended up on hip hop question mark. So it really gets down Uh to, you know, your favorite music, but starting out with, do you like hip hop? You know, I have to say yes, because I can't say like categorically as a genre. I don't, I can't say that I don't like it. Um, I, I don't, I've never listened to it that often. So I can't say I know the genre very well. Um, um, but yeah, my my kind of musical tastes, uh, <laughs> for better or worse, kind of remain the same from when I was a teenager uh, or even preteen. I love, love me some Radiohead, some British music, Britpop. Uh, I still, still love all that like 90s Britpop stuff. And um, a lot of those people have gone on to do like have solo careers and I love, love those things. <laughs> and so, Good call. Yeah. Well, well, our conversation might go longer, you know, post show here. Cause I like Radiohead. Hey, nice. It's a good show. And I have a 20 year old son. So hip hop oh. was really unavoidable. And, <laughs> uh, you know, for long car trips when, when those happen, uh, but that ended up on the wheel and good to know that about you. Now, Kenor, before we wrap up, it would be great to know where can people find you? Anything else you'd like to say? about your book. So make sure that we covered what, what you want to share. Uh, so take whatever time you'd like here to do that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, the book, uh, which again, is called I Quit, The Life-Affirming Joy of Giving Up, uh, will be published at the end of April this year. Uh, but it's currently available for pre-order at iquitbook.com. And um, you can also reach out to me from that website if you'd like me to come uh, speak to your organization or at your conference. Um, And uh, you can learn more about my work, uh, design thinking and otherwise um, at mindhatchllc.com. And um, please connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me there. I follow Mindhatch on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and I think there's another one and LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Follow mind hatch there as well. <laughs> Wonderful. I love mind hatch. That's a, that's a great branding for sure. Hey. Well, Kenor, this was such a beautiful conversation, a lovely conversation. It was a positive conversation. Thank you so <laughs> much for being my guest here and uh, we're all the better for it. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. A great way to start my day on the West coast. Thank you. A pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights to Live By. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Matthew Zinman and join our community at InsightsToLiveBy.com. Wishing you and yours an enriching day, and we'll see you next time.